Good morning. So good to see so many people who have survived the Arctic Mageddon. Show of hands, how many of you, your pipes froze this weekend? My hands up, my upstairs pipes. Yeah, but we got water downstairs, so we're okay. I'm glad everyone made it out today. I know it was Arctic cold, and many of us were probably tempted to sleep in and stay in the warm, cozy comfort of our blanket. You guys are warriors, so we appreciate you coming out. Today is the first Sunday of the new year, so Happy New Year, everyone. We're excited that it's 2018, and I was thinking this year is going to be a very good year, potentially, for a few reasons. The first reason is light shines the, dark, shines the brightest when it's darkest around us. You ever look around and see how dark it is everywhere you go spiritually? Light shines the brightest when it's the darkest. So that's one way it could be a great new year. Another one, another reason I believe it's going to be a great 2018 is God has a plan for everyone here. Everyone here at Arden First, God has a plan for your life individually and as church corporately. And no matter what happens to you, isn't it good to know that God is doing something in you? So no matter what the outcome of 2018 is, good or bad, God's still working in you. Amen? How many people like fishing in the room? I know we've got some fishermen. I came across this fishing story. This pastor was walking across the, the river bank, and he saw some boys fishing. And their method of fishing got, got his attention. They were using a tire with a rope. And every time they threw the tire in, they were pulling out droves and droves of fish. And he just couldn't believe this unorthodox method of throwing a, a tire into the river. And they were bringing out fish faster than people with the rod and the reels. And as he was walking away, the Lord seemed to speak to his heart and said, It's radical methods of fishing that will catch souls. It's radical methods of fishing that will catch souls. So next week we're going to start a new book of the Bible series, which we will save the suspense until next week. But today is a standalone message, kind of a vision message, of what does God has in store for the new year. And last year our theme, does anybody remember the theme last year? started with all, all in. This year's theme is another simple theme, but every year I ask God to kind of give me what's the theme or the vision for this year. And this year the theme is everyone reach one. Everyone reach one. So look at the person next to you and say, this year we're going to try to reach one person for Christ. So today we're going to, a little preview of today's text, we're going to talk about a very um, fun and yet inspiring scripture. They're all inspiring, but this is a, a kind of a creative story about a man that could not walk and yet he had four friends that were willing to do whatever it took to get this man to Jesus. And by application, we're going to look at our lives personally and this church corporately. And we're going to ask the question, what are we willing to do to bring people to Jesus? And we're going to see the greatest man's need was not physical, it was spiritual. And that's every person's greatest need, it's spiritual. And a lot of times in church, we meet people's felt needs so we can meet their real needs. And the real need is a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's, let's look at the scripture. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, if you go ahead and turn there. And the question I want you guys to think about as we read this scripture is, who is the one person this year that God wants to reach through you? Who's the one person this year that God wants to reach through you? So we're going to start in verse 1. And again he entered Capernaum after some days... And it was heard that he was in the house. 
Immediately many gathered together, so there was no longer room to receive him, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near Jesus because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes who were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sin but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed and went into the presence, went out in the presence of them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let us pray. Father, your word is powerful and your word is true. Father, today as we look at the story about Jesus healing a paralyzed man, help us to look at the people who are paralyzed in our lives. Paralyzed not just physically but spiritually. People who need an encounter with the living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Father, help us to understand your scripture, to apply it to our lives personally, and to apply it to our church family as well. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to look at this text, and I'm going to give four basic observations about people in general, and then we're going to talk about six ways to make 2018 different than any other year before. So the first of all, let's look at some observations about people. Number one, people have to hear that Jesus is moving in our midst. Look at verse 1. Again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that Jesus was in the house. Now, Capernaum is a place that many people think that when Jesus went back, the house could have been Peter's house. We don't know for certain, but that was kind of the area where Peter hung out, according to many scholars. So we don't know whose house. It's unnamed. But could you imagine if this was Peter's house, um, the excitement, Jesus is coming home, and he's staying with Peter um, he's coming to the house. So there was so much excitement. And by application, if we want people to get excited about God, they have to hear that Jesus is moving in our midst. The reason why people came is the word spread about Jesus. This is the guy who heals people. This is the guy who casts out demons. This is the guy who changes lives throughout his entire ministry. These were the things that people heard. So when people hear about your life, do they see and hear that Jesus is moving in your life? When they think about Arden First Baptist, do they hear that Jesus is moving here? People want to be around a move of God. When people hear that Jesus is in our midst, they want to be in the middle of the move of God in our midst. So our mission statement, Arden First, and say it with me if you know it, is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. Everybody you meet is someone that's ordinary, but they have the potential to live an extraordinary life in Christ. 
And what that means is God's got a plan for their life. It doesn't mean life's always going to be easy. It doesn't, it, will, it doesn't mean life will not be without its hardships. But it does mean that life has purpose and that God is with you no matter what you go through. Through the good times and through the difficult times. Amen. So part of what I dream of is I dream of a church where people can come and their lives be impacted with the gospel. I dream of a church where people can come and their lives be changed. Where marriages are falling apart and you see marriages restored. Where senior adults come and they realize that whenever you retire, it's time to refire. God's got a new purpose and a plan even in retirement. I, I dream of a church where working adults come. And they see their job as their ministry. The marketplace is actually a mission field. So whenever I work my job, whether it be at Ingalls, whether it be in the school, whatever, I'm actually in the mission field. I dream of a church where single moms can get help. And they realize that this church family is large enough to wrap her arms around the single mom. I dream of a church where students realize that the greatest vision they can have is the vision of God for their lives. The reason why so many teenagers go astray is they don't realize that God's plan is bigger and better than anything they can dream of. So if teenagers get a vision of what God has for them, that will keep them on the pathway and keep them from going astray in college. I dream of a church where children thrive and they hear the gospel and they're able and have the opportunity to respond to the gospel at a young age. Many of you know I was just five years old when I received Christ, when I heard the gospel. My daughter Kira was... Um, just really young, three, four years old, and we baptized her last Christmas at five. The church needs to present the good news of Jesus. And the gospel's simple. The gospel is that every man, woman, and child, God loves them. The problem is we have a sin issue. Just like the, the greatest need in the story, the man's greatest need was not physical, it was spiritual. That's why Jesus said, your sins be forgiven. And if we can meet the spiritual needs, God will help meet the other needs. Amen? So I think... Arden First has the potential to, among the other churches, to make a great kingdom impact. To impact, just within a, a five-mile radius, last time I counted, there, there's so many lives. I mean, it's, it's like over 50,000 people just around this church, more than that. And you guys know when you drive around traffic and see the cars. When I see the traffic, sometimes I think I'm stuck in traffic, and other times I think these are souls. These are people that we can impact. Hallelujah, they're right around us. Amen. So people have to hear that Jesus is moving. Number two, people are drawn towards the places where God is present and active. Look at verse two. It says, immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. So when it says immediately people gather together, the imagery was they heard that Jesus was staying at this house. Uh, we don't know whose house. Perhaps it was Peter. But because Jesus was there, people gathered together. Wouldn't it be great? I hear stories. I've talked, to, I've talked to Betty Moody. I've talked to Dot. I've talked to others. And they said, back in the day, this church was so packed, you had to put chairs on the aisleway. Wouldn't it be great when people heard that Jesus was moving, that church became the popular thing to do again? That instead of picking the vacation every other weekend, you're like, I can't miss church. I'll do the vacation another time. I, I want it to be such an exciting place that people put that top on their priority list because they hear that God is present. And when God is present, you never know what's going to happen. You never know whose life is going to be changed. It's kind of like uh, Pastor Stephen was talking to our Sunday school class this morning about serendipity. 
meaning that God often shows up when you least expect it. He surprises you. Wouldn't it be great if church was so unpredictable when God was going to move and show up you didn't know? And I hear the stories of the good old day when people, God would show up. You know, God hasn't changed. We have changed. But whenever we, people realize that God is active and present, um, it says this place was so packed out, people coming to hear Jesus, that it was out the doors. And I think that can happen again as long as Jesus is in the center of this church. Amen. Number three, another observation about people from this text. People need to hear the word of God preached. Notice that whenever the crowd was there, Jesus didn't tickle their ears. He didn't give them a feel-good self-help speech. He preached the word of God to them. People's greatest needs is not some feel-good message because it's like cotton candy. You eat it and then the rest of the week it doesn't help you. People need the word of God to change their lives. And I, I love the fact that Jesus spoke with such boldness and authority. And the sad thing is we have more boldness and authority in sports than we do in church. I'll give you an example. How many of you watch ESPN? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you know of Stephen A. Smith, right? He's the sports commentator. Um, he's, he's entertaining. He says some off-colored words sometimes. Um, but my, my father-in-law joke about how bold this guy is. It's almost like he's preaching, but he's talking about sports. But he speaks with such boldness and authority. So I, I Googled him. And I found out some interesting things about him. You know how much he makes talking about sports? Over $3 million a year just running his mouth about sports. And you're like, how in the world can someone make over $3 million talking about sports? That's all, they're just talking. They're not even playing. And the reason why is this world is hungry for people who believe what they're talking about. They're hungry for someone that's going to talk about whatever it is, even if it's underwater basket weaving. They want to hear something with boldness and authority. And as the church... We're the only one who have the true message. The rest of the stuff is just fun. And it's okay to have fun. I'm for it. But we have the gospel message, which is God's word. Every word's inspired. Every word is God-breathed. And yet we dance around it. We should speak with boldness and authority as Christ did. Amen. So people need to hear God's word preached. So, number four, people need to be brought to Jesus by caring friends. Look, Look at verse three. It says, then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Now, what's interesting is this man could not walk. He was paralyzed. And not only could he not walk, but he was just lying there. So he was helpless. He was in a desperate situation. And we don't know who these four men were. We can say they're friends because they're helping them out. We don't know if they were just walking by and they saw this guy. We don't know if they're families. Uh, a good chance they had some sort of relationship with him, or at least one of the guys did. But notice that this guy had no legs that worked, and now he has eight legs that work. This guy was just lying there, and now these friends pick him up and carry him. Perhaps as you're working through your New Year's resolutions, one resolution we can have is we need better friends this year. We need to cultivate better friendships. We're, we're the most connected society and yet we're the most disconnected, unrelational society. People can have a thousand friends on Facebook, but only have two or three real friends in real life. I was reading a, a, an article by Leslie Parrott. He wrote about friendships, and I'll read a quote from his book. He fr- said, friends make the ordinary, like running errands or eating lunch, for example, extraordinary fun. And good friends ease their pain and lighten their heavy loads. Not only are friends good for the soul, but they're good for the body as well. 
Now listen to this research. Friends help us ward off depression, boost our immune system, lower our cholesterol, increase the odds of surviving with coronary disease, and keep the stress hormones in check. And it goes on to say um, the thing that mattered most was friends in this person, in the health. What, what's more, research shows that you can extend your life expectancy by having the right kind of friends. Now think about that. There's a reason why the Bible talks so much about community. Because God created us for community. So I want to ask you a question as we think about this man who was carried by four friends. Who are you friend to that you're bringing to Jesus? Who are you caring to Jesus? Now we just went through the time of holidays and it's really exciting. And one thing as a pastor, sometimes I wish I could say but I never say it, is I hear people say, well, I'm not going to be at church Sunday because I have friends in town. And I don't say this, but I want to say is, you know what? Just like this guy brought his friends to Jesus, their greatest need is not entertainment, is not food, is not any of the great things. Their greatest need is Christ. And you, you can't drag them to church, but maybe you can just carry them. Maybe you can say, hey, if you come, we'll go out to eat afterward. We'll go to your favorite restaurant. God realizes, and he wants us to realize, that people matter for eternity. So if we look at this text, the man's greatest need was not physical, it was spiritual. And that's why Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. All right, so let's transition from these general observations about people from this text. And let's look at six ways on how to make this year different than last year. You guys ready? Say, "Uh uh-huh. All right, you guys hopefully are warmed up now. And let's jump into it. The first way to make a difference is truly care for people who need Jesus. Notice that this guy, he needed help physically. But his ultimate need was Christ. His ultimate need was forgiveness of sins. Because think about it. If this guy got healed and yet Jesus never changed his life, he never became a believer, the guy still would have died without Christ and went into hell. So, I mean, he may have walked around for 50 more years, but eternity is what really counts. So there's two types of people in the world. Those who need Jesus and realize it, and those who need Jesus and don't yet realize it. So we've got to realize that 2018, the emphasis has to be on Christ. It's good to have resolutions about losing weight. By the way, those of you who are doing the Daniel fast, this will help. Um, it's good to have resolutions about getting your finances in order. All these are good. The greatest resolution you can have is to know and love Jesus deeper and greater. So truly people, people who truly care, realize they've got, they got to bring people to Jesus. Number two one of my favorite sayings I like to talk about and my kids are going to learn it over and over is teamwork makes the, there you go, here on the front row right here. Teamwork makes the dream work. One thing that's interesting is how many friends did it take to carry this guy to Jesus? It took four. And a lot of times, I'm on, I'm on a few soapboxes here, but people will say, why do I need the church? I can watch Charles Stanley. I can watch the guy from North Spartanburg and all, and it's, those are all great pastors. But the reason why you need the local church, and there's, there's a lot of things in the Bible, a lot of commands that you can't do in isolation. Like when it says, love one another, serve one another. Well, I serve the guy sitting on my couch. I mean, who are you serving? Who are you helping? Who are you loving? And it takes many of us to, sometimes to bring one person to Christ. So when I say everyone reach one, that doesn't mean you're doing it in isolation. It means as a church, as a whole. When we work together, we help reach people. 
And I love the fact that these men realize that, you know what, I, I can carry this guy for a little bit, but this guy's a little heavy. He's been sitting around for a little bit. He weighs a little much. It's going to take all four of us to bring him to Christ. And the truth is, in the local church, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us stepping up in your time. It's going to take all of us volunteering. And some of you are like, well, I'm not able. Well, can you pray? Prayer is one of the most important things you can do. Everyone can serve a part. Amen. When you think about it, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And the, the local church is his body, the body of Christ. So as the local church presents Christ, we present the hope of the world. So a lot of things are important in life. There's a lot. I'm not minimizing anything. But Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And the local church is the one who presents Christ as the hope of the world. Amen. Number three, and you type A personalities out here will love this one. Have a can-do, whatever-it-takes mentality. <laughs> so look at verse four. It says, when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was lying. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. So here's, here's the way it was in Palestinian homes. Um, basically, a lot of times the roofs were made out of logs, and then they would have either mud or clay that would kind of cover up those logs and be a support system. So the, these friends come up, and they're, they're taking the friend of Jesus, and because it, the house is so packed out, you know, there are people outside the door. I could see these guys walking up, and they're like, we're trying to get through, and they're like, sorry, I mean, we can't move. It's packed out. It's like, you ever been to a concert where you're like sardines and you can't move? It was kind of like that. They couldn't move. So all of a sudden, one of the guys, or perhaps they had a, a group think tank, we don't know, they said, how about we do the unthinkable? How about there's this little stair, stairs that walk up? How about we walk up the stairs, let's push the people out of the way, and let's, let's, let's see what we can do on top of the roof. So as they're getting ready to walk up the stairs, the people are like, you know you can't go up there. And they're like, we're going to go up here anyways. So they go up. And I can imagine Jesus speaking to the crowd. Perhaps it's Peter's home. And I can imagine as Jesus is speaking, you see like dust and dirt and clay falling down. And they're like, you're, you're wiping off your hair. Like, what's going on? And all of a sudden you see an opening. There's a light shining through the roof. And people are just like, pause. I mean, it's like, have you ever taught a message and like the roof's coming off? I've never, not yet. And uh, I don't know if Jesus stops or he keeps preaching. We don't know. Um, but all of a sudden, more roof comes off, and more roof. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're lowering this guy in a makeshift bed. And all the eyes are going up. And I imagine Peter's wife, if this is his home, she's probably pulling out the insurance policy. Does this cover roof damage? I mean, it's like, what's going on here? So they're lowering this guy, and all the eyes most likely turn to Jesus. What is he going to do? What is he going to say? And I love the fact that these guys, they couldn't get to Jesus, so they found another way. What is it like to have a can-do mentality? Have you ever heard the expression, we've never done it that way before? Well, these guys didn't have that notion. They said, we're going to be innovators. We're going to do whatever it takes to bring people to Christ. This is innovation at its, at its highest. Here's a story for those of you who have driven trucks. I read about this, this truck driver. He was trying to take a shortcut, maybe to shorten his route, wanted to get home or whatever. And he took this route where it said the bridge was just a few inches lower than his, his, his truck's height. And he's like, you know what, they, they probably underestimated this. 
or overestimate it. I think I can fit through. So he tried to go through this little old rickety bridge and he got stuck. And he blocked traffic and everyone was out there. And they're like, what are we going to do? This guy's stuck. If we try to back him up, he's going to further destroy the bridge. The traffic was piling up behind him. The truck driver obviously didn't know what to do. He's stuck and he obviously felt embarrassed. You know, low clearance and here he is. So there was a little girl that rolled down her window. And she said, why don't you try letting the air out of his tires and see if he can get out? So sure enough, they let the air out of the tires and he was able to get up, get out without further damaging the bridge. Sometimes it takes innovation and creativity to reach people. And you're like, well, where does all that come from, Timothy? Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Did you know you're made in his image? So Christians should be the most creative people on planet earth. We should be more creative than Hollywood. We should be more creative than anyone because we're made in the image of God and we're being remade in that image. But sometimes Christians have the mentality, we've never done it that way. But look at these four friends. They were willing to do the unthinkable, rip someone's roof off to get that person to Jesus. We need to do whatever it takes to reach people. Amen. Number four, believe again. Believe that Jesus can change lives. I love verse five. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, the thing about the word son, and I heard this, I was listening uh, to this passage on the way, and I discovered something new. The word son is the same word used with prodigal son. It's a family term. So Jesus was basically, basically saying son, like child. It's like a family term he's using here. And you can imagine this guy who felt so depressed, so defeated, couldn't walk, um, needed people to bring him to Jesus, Jesus calling him son. And he says, your sins are forgiven you. Now, could you imagine the mentality like he came for physical healing and now Jesus is talking about spiritual? I love how God starts with the real need and works his way out. He starts inside and works his way out. The man's greatest need was not a paralyzed body, but it was a paralyzed soul. And once Jesus fixed the soul, then we'll see in this text, he fixed the body too. When he saw their faith, he moved in their situation. And I think about 2018, and when I look at the scripture, how when Jesus said he saw their faith, what does Jesus say when he sees our faith? I'm just wondering. When he looks at your faith individually, and he looks at her church family. What does he see and what does he say? Um, this is one reason it's in your bulletin. Uh, if you notice, there's an insert about the Daniel fast. For those of you who weren't here Wednesday night, I won't give you the whole message. But there's there's few reasons why we do a fast every year. And it's not mandatory. So for those of you who are sweating, like, oh my goodness, what am I getting? So, it's not mandatory. It's voluntarily. But every year we have a group of people in the church that fast. And you're like, why would you fast? Well, it's in the Bible, number one. But some reasons is fasting helps us focus on what really matters. It allows us to turn our attention away from the physical and focus on the spiritual. Fasting help us to, helps us to draw closer to God and experience breakthroughs. Now, something um, about fasting I think that's very special is whenever you have a burden, you have a need, you have something on your heart, often you'll, you'll experience spiritual breakthroughs. And God will do something amazing. I could tell you story after story in my own life about fasting and how God worked through that. Um, and I, hopefully we can share that as this, this fast continues. But something I want to encourage you is just pray about it. 
would God have you to enter into a fast? Now, if you look on your handout in your bulletin, there's a few options. For those who have never fasted ever, um, option one is just to give up breakfast and lunch for the next two Wednesdays. That's not a big deal. Some of you do that anyways because you're busy, but do it on purpose. Um, option two is fast for three days. That would start next Sunday and go through the Wednesday when we break the fast together. And some of you um, are going to fast for the full ten days. So you can already experience the caffeine-free headaches coming on and the sugar withdrawals. And so, But it, it's really important when Jesus looks at you to say, wow, how great is your faith? And part of fasting is allow you to focus your faith and your energy on Christ and watch him do what only he can do. So that's not mandatory, but it's there. If you want to take part in that, let us know. In your bulletin, there's a fasting guide, a devotional you can put on your phone or look on your website. There's a 21-day guide, so you can use it for the however many days you want to use it. Um, This past Wednesday, I talked to someone that's decided to do a 21-day fast. They're doing a a little different modified, but they said, you know, they're, they're, they're on it. They started last week already. So God is moving in people's hearts already, so it's exciting. Can I get it? Uh Uh-huh. All right. Number five, don't let religious people put out your fire. Now notice, God's doing a miracle. Um, He's he's saying this guy's sins are forgiven. He's doing all these great things. Look at the response of the scribes. And some of the scribes who were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts... In their hearts, they said, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sin but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Now here's one thing they're right about. Only God can forgive sins. They got that right. But what they got wrong was the person. They were right about the principle, but they were wrong about the person. Jesus was, in fact, God. So if you ever question, people say, well, Jesus never proclaimed to be God. He did all the time. In fact, in this scripture, when he said, your sins are forgiven, all through the Old Testament, it's clear that only God can forgive sin. So when Jesus had the prerogative to say, your sins are forgiven, Jesus, in a way, was claiming to be divine. He was claiming to be God. And the scribes knew that. And that's why they're accusing him of blaspheming. How, how dare you claim to be God? So if you ever heard anyone say Jesus never claimed to be God, he does throughout the whole Bible. And this is one example. So God was moving in their midst, and all of a sudden religious people were second-guessing the work of God. And what I mean by religious people is not people who are spiritually and following after Christ. What I mean by religious is the scribes and Pharisees, the legalists. They preach rules and regulation as truth. They add to the Bible And there's a few things, not in your notes, but you can write this down. A few things about religious people. Number one, religious people love principles above people. They love principles to the point that they don't love people as they should. They elevate principle above people. Number two, religious people judge first and show grace last. You notice throughout the whole New Testament, the scribes and Pharisees are judging, and where's the grace? They they excel in the truth that they think they know, but they don't have grace. Number three, religious people struggle with anything that cannot fit in their own neat little boxes. You read throughout the whole New Testament, the scribes and Pharisees were rebuking Jesus. Why? He didn't fit into their box. He did things the way that God wanted him to do as God in the flesh. Number four, religious people focus so much on doing that they forget the being. Legalism is rules and regulations apart from a relationship. 
Let me give you guys a formula. We talked about this last year, but some of you maybe not remembered it. You guys remember the formula R plus R minus R equals R, all right? This really helps you understand the scribes and Pharisees. Rules plus regulations minus relationship equals rebellion. Rules plus regulations minus relationship equals rebellion. And by the way, this is true in parenting. If you have a lot of rules, can't do whatever, but the relationship's not there, what happens to your child or teenager? They rebel. It happens in your walk with God. If you focus so much on the rules and regulations, but you don't have that personal relationship, what happens? Eventually, you end up rebelling, or at least you become like a scribe and Pharisee. So here's the thing I want to encourage you from this. Don't let anyone put out the Spirit's fire in your life. How many of you can remember a time in your life where you were on fire for God, and some religious person said, well, you need to settle down. You're a little too loud. You're a little too excited. Listen, we need to let people that are on fire, let them burn so that the world can come to watch them burn with passion for Christ. Let's not quench the Spirit's fire in anyone's life. And when Jesus said the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, what he was quoting here is uh, Daniel seven thirteen and 14. Jesus uses often, he referred to himself as the Son of Man. And the idea behind it was Jesus was the Son of God, and he took upon a human body and became the Son of Man. And he came with authority and he came with power. So the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Number six, watch God do what only he can do, a miracle in your midst. Verses 11 and 12, if you'll read with me. Jesus says, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your home. Immediately he arose, he took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all. So they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now, you can imagine, we don't know how long this man has been in this condition, but perhaps he's been crippled for a long time. So you can imagine when Jesus said, get up, the man had to have faith that when I get up, my legs are going to work. Now, some of you are in the medical field, and you know if someone has been crippled for a long time, there's muscles that don't work or not even there. Um, There's certain things in the body that has atrophied. Um, There's a lot of conditions, so... Is not just the miracle of this guy walking, it's the miracle of this guy now has muscle and fiber and ligaments. And I mean, I don't know all the scientific things, but he, it, it's, it's a miracle of biology as well. So this guy that had no muscle strength now has strength. This guy that was paralyzed is now energized. This guy that was now sitting around is now standing up. This guy that was going nowhere is now going somewhere. This guy that had... This long list of sins and issues in his life is now forgiven and set free. And Jesus says to us today, not just to the paralyzed man, but he says, get up, take up your bed and go to your house. And I love the fact that when Jesus makes a difference in your life, he tells us to get up. He tells us to get moving. He told the man to go back to his home. Now, we don't know how much family he has, but true change should be evident in your home first. What if you change the whole world, but your whole home is in disarray? That's why Paul says that we've got to take care of things on the home front. And if we provide for a family, provide on the home front, that's evidence that God is working. I've heard so many stories about pastors that try to save the whole world through Christ, so to speak, but yet their whole home is in disarray. Start with your home and work your way out. I read a story about Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, um, the theologian, not not Martin Luther King Jr., but the theologian, he had a dream once. 
And in his dream, um, he was sitting in his house, and he kind of glanced. I guess he was probably looking out the window, and he saw Jesus coming up the walkway. And Martin Luther looked around his house, and there was like trash on the floor. There was old food. There was garbage everywhere. Everything was out, clutter. Kind of like if you guys call Timothy, I'm coming over your house, and I'm like, my kids have just been playing. i got to, you know. So he's kind of scrambling, trying to put all the clothes up, put the food away, put the trash And Jesus is getting closer and closer to the door. And he's like, and it seemed like the harder he tried, the the messier it got. I mean, in his dream, it was just evolving. So all of a sudden, he heard a knock on the door, and it was Jesus. And he's like, okay. So all of a sudden, he opens the door, and he says, how am I going to let the Lord Jesus Christ come to mess like this? He's saying that to himself. As he hurried, he says to Jesus, Jesus, come on in if you think you can come to a place like And he pauses, and all of a sudden he turns around, and as Jesus comes in, everything is back in its place. And his dream serves as a symbol. You can try to get your life in order on your own, but how many of us know we just can't do it? We can make as many New Year's resolutions as we can. It just doesn't work. But whenever you let Jesus come in, he cleans house. It's not through self-effort. It's not through... Anything apart from the grace of God and Him working through you. Amen. So today, just as a, as a review, we've talked about four principles about people. People have to hear that Jesus is moving in our midst. People are drawn toward places where God is present and active. That's got to start with your life. People need to hear the Word of God preached. People need to be brought to Jesus through caring friends. And then we talked about six ways. If you want to make 2018 different, from all the other years, truly care for people who need Jesus, which is, by the way, is everybody. Teamwork makes the dream work. Thank you, Kira. Have a can-do-whatever-it-takes mentality. The guys are willing to tear apart the roof, do whatever it took to bring this person to Jesus. Believe again that Jesus can change lives. The most important need is the forgiveness of sins. And after that, everything else is secondary. Don't let religious people put out your fire. If you've been hurt at churches in the past, I'm so sorry. Put your attention on Jesus and not any leader. Put your attention back on him. Watch what God can do. Only he can do a miracle in your midst. Amen. So your take-home truth is very simple. Reached people, reached people. Reached people, reached people. If you have been reached by Jesus, you will reach people for Jesus. If you haven't been reached, the best way to start your new year is to say, Jesus, I surrender my life. I came for this need, but I didn't realize my greatest need was forgiveness. And you know what? The world is yet to know what God can do through a church and through a believer that's fully surrendered to him. Amen. Let us pray. Father, your word is true. Your word is powerful. God, I pray that the application we learn from your word today from a paralyzed man and his four friends, the application of applying it to our lives personally and to the church as a whole would make an impact. And Father, as we pray, please help us. Speak to all our hearts. And as we're praying, I ask for no one looking around, but I want to talk to the believers first. How many of you would say, Timothy, I need that passion to reach people stoked, fresh and new this year? I want to make it my New Year's resolution with God's help. Obviously, God's the one who does the saving, but I'm going to do everything I can with God's help and his grace to try to reach one person this year. If that's your hand, if that's your prayer, raise your hand.
No one looking around. Hands up. Father, you see our hands. And God, we know we don't save anyone. We just present the message. We try to live the Christian life. So God, my prayer is in our home, in our workplace, at the grocery store, wherever we're at, in every place, you would give us one person at least to share Christ with. And you would help us. Forgive us where we've lost the passion and the zeal to reach people for Christ. And as believers continue to pray, I want to talk to someone that came here today and maybe you didn't realize that you were unreached, but you realize that your greatest need is not what you think it is. Your greatest need is forgiveness. Your greatest need is Jesus in your life. So if you've never given your life to Christ, right where you're sitting, no magic prayer, no magic words, just a prayer of faith. Say something in your heart like this. Jesus, I realize I need you. Just as you forgave the paralytic man, I need you to forgive me of all my sins. I realize, God, I haven't done things the way I should. I've sinned against you in my thought. I've sinned against you in my deeds, my attitudes and actions. And for these things, I'm sorry. Jesus, make me new again. I invite you into my life as my Savior, my Lord, and my very best friend. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We love you, and we thank you, and we give you praise. And all God's children said, Amen. This time I'm going to be at the front, Miss G.